I have decided to look at the subject of relationships this evening. Ooh. I'll tell you what, that's had more response than normal. Actually, it's fasting. No, we're going to look at relationships. Now, I realize as I talk about the subject of relationships, there are a whole load of different situations going on in the room. Different people from single to interested in someone to very interested in someone to slightly obsessed by someone. Bit creepy. Dating, long-term dating, engaged, married, maybe divorced, maybe widowed. When we're, when we're talking about the subject of relationships, there is, a, there is a massive sweep in the room. And I believe that what I'm saying this evening should be useful to all of those different groups of people. It's a big claim. You could tell me at the end whether it's true or not. But as you get alongside people in a community like such as this in the church, then you are going to walk through many different life stages with people. That is the reality of what's going on. Many of us will have spent and will go on to spend long nights counseling people who are in relationships. Is that not true? Whether it be you, you might be in the right in the midst of kind of a a tricky situation right now, or one of your friends, you are going to be talking to people about relationships for the rest of your life. Relationships are absolutely fundamental to who we are. Over the last year, I've been involved in counselling people in every one of these different situations that I'm talking about. And ultimately, we've been wired for relationship. Um, I have watched many, many, many people literally self-destruct because of bad choices and attitudes that they've made and owned in relationships. Relationships conducted badly have an incredible effect on those around us. And we live in the present with the consequences of what has happened in our past. So, yes, we truly believe that the Lord can redeem situations. You know, so you might have had a really difficult relationship in the past that was a mess. And we do believe that the Lord can redeem those situations. We believe that the power of God can come in, that the Lord can teach us things from what has happened in the past. But there are always consequences of what has happened. You know, we see that in the life story of King David in the Old Testament. David, known as a man after God's own heart, sees this beautiful woman Bathsheba bathing on the roof one day. And in that moment, invites her over to the palace. She comes over, he ends up sleeping with her bad enough, goes on to then try and get his way out of the whole situation, invites Uriah, the husband, back from war in order to sleep with Bathsheba. He doesn't. He's a man of honor and says, do you know what? My, my you know, the army are away at war. I'm not going to sleep with my wife in this moment and so doesn't sleep with her. So he's like, oh, massive cover-up moment gone wrong. Sends Uriah to the front line. Killed. And then, you know, walks into a new reality. Now, the reality is that David had a huge amount of power in that moment and could make these things happen. But David lived with the consequences of what he did for the rest of his life. He would have 
you know, devastated. It, talk, it goes on to talk about what happened to his family as a result of that mess that happened. So the point that I'm making is our past has a way of showing up in our future, if we're not careful. And outside of following God, the biggest decision that I've ever made is getting married. Absolutely huge. It's a covenant I made before God. I stood before the Lord and I said, Jen, I'll marry you. You know, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to do my best to look after you. And it's the hardest thing that I've ever done. And I'm not overstating that. I'm not meaning to stand up here and be like, oh, you know, it's so ridiculous. I think I've got a good marriage. I really do. But it's the hardest thing that I've ever done. And the Lord has taught me more through being married than anything else. And anything that's truly worthwhile in this life costs. Because you had to work at it so hard. You know, we don't get given things in life that just kind of happen and they go, oh, that's amazing. It's the things that we've worked for, the things that we've plowed the ground for, that we turn around and we go, wow, that's what God's done and we can celebrate those things. I've worked harder at my marriage than anything else. And virtually everybody I know, and there will be some of you who are in the room and have chosen to be maybe celibate or single, and there will be a number of people like that. But for many people, they really do want to be in a relationship. And what makes relationships even harder in our culture is the lies that the media would put out there about what it looks like, what it means to be in a relationship. And they are just flooding us all of the time. Culture has a view of relationships that there are so many lies in there. And because the values of the world are not the same as our values as followers of Jesus. I talked about this all throughout the truth series. They can be close, but they are not the same. And we are, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And so we stand apart from culture because we know that it's broken and man-made. The values of the world would say this. If it feels good, do it. If it's broken, move on. Why? Because you're worth it. What can you get out of this relationship? And do you know what? All the time people are asking the wrong set of questions. Have you ever thought that maybe you're asking the wrong questions? That maybe your mind has been guided and subtly polluted by the media, by what's going on out there? Our God has got a lot to say about relationships. God's word has a lot to say about relationships. And God is the originator of life, and it all started with him. And he laid down in Genesis the blueprint of what our relationships are to look like. So we're just going to start back in the creation story in Genesis. In the very first verse in the Bible, it says, In in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so in just this starting moment, this amazing, you know, the first three chapters of Genesis is so formational for identity. It's so formational because it talks about where we came from, that we are created beings, that we have a creator God, that he designed us, that he knows exactly how we tick, that he knows everything about us, that he knows every hair on our heads. He knows what is best for us, and he also knows what will destroy us. For the first 25 verses of Genesis, God's creating light and darkness and water and sky and land and then plants and trees and animals. And then we pick it up in verse 26 and it says this, then God said, let us, really interesting in that moment, it says, let us, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. I love that in verse 26, that already there's an allusion to the Trinity. 
going on right in that early stage. It's not just let so yeah, let us. And here we see the Trinity at work. Let let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. Paul spoke on this a few weeks ago, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. In this moment, authority was given to man. So God created mankind in his image, in the image of God. He created the male and female, he created them. I love this verse, verse 27, that we've got some good repetition going on. God says twice for double impact. In the image of God, we were created. In the image of God, we were created. Why is this so, so foundational and important? Because right at the start of looking at relationships, we need to realize that we have intrinsic value because we've been created in the image of God intrinsic value right here in this first bit. What do I mean when I'm talking about intrinsic value? That that this value is not relative to any external event happening, any external achievement of your life. And I know that we might know when I say this, that this is true, but we have to keep reminding ourselves all the time throughout our life that this is true. That when we come here in here, You're not valuable because of what you've done or who you know or who you are in relationship with or how popular you are or because of what you look like or how well you've done in this world. All of those things are not the key issue, but we love to make them the key issue. We we love to make them define us. But God would say, do you know what? None of those things are what's important, that there is intrinsic value in who I've made you because we're created by God Almighty male and female. And so often in the middle of relationships, what happens is we lose sight of this reality, completely lose sight, because we are looking for somebody to validate us. We're looking for somebody to give us value. In that moment, it's like, validate me, love me, to pursue us, to tell us that we're worth something. Call me, text me, ask me out. And the heart of what we are saying is love me. Love me. Tell me that you love me. And I'm going to find my worth in this. So the starting place of our worth is not found in somebody else. In a relationship, it's found in my creator. This is so incredibly important. I was listening to a song actually in the car the other day. Um... I want to say Jamie Lawton or something like that. I can't remember. And I listened to the, the lyrics. And, you, you know, it's really around this idea of you complete me or something like that. You are my everything. I was like, that is absolute rubbish. You know, when you're just listening to something and you, you sit there and you think, that's just not true. It's very catchy, but it's not true. That I find, it, basically, it's kind of saying, I find my worth in you. Because you validated me, then I am complete. You're like, what a load of rubbish. But we're singing it, and we're sometimes kind of driving along in our car singing stuff that's just not true. And so many people are looking to a relationship to complete them. They're looking to the other person to do what only God can do, to fulfill the longings of their heart, to fill the deep vacuum that they feel within them, to bring identity and meaning to their life. That is too much pressure for another human being to cope with. Can you imagine as you're going into a relationship with that kind of identity piece going, do you know what, you are, you are going to define me. And you put that into a relationship, how destructive that can become. Because that person can never be that for you. They can never be your everything. 
they will only end up disappointing us. They will never be able to measure up to this. So that you go into a relationship thinking, do you know what, this person's going to fix me. They're going to define me. And suddenly it just leads to failure. You're, so many people, when they're going into a relationship, are looking for a savior. That place has already been filled. So without this fundamental building block of identity that we're created in the image of God, that we have intrinsic value, the world is going into relationship without that piece of the building block and then going, I'm wondering why these relationships are struggling because I'm putting all of my hope into this relationship and then when it begins to go, oh, do you know what? It's not as easy as I thought it was. In fact, it's flipping hard because relationships are really difficult. So it's so important that we have value apart from our relationship because I've been made in the image and likeness of God, that I'm secure. And you know, we've been singing about I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. If this building block is not secure, we will only ever try and find our identity in other people. We look to them to validate us. And then when any relationship breaks down, then what happens is I have to find somebody as quickly as possible to fulfill that again. It's like to get into the cycle of relationships to love me. And sometimes it doesn't matter who it is, anybody. And you see this, you see this pattern, people that just cannot bear to be alone. Can't bear to be alone. They jump from relationship to relationship, not realizing that they are in fact the problem. And this leads to a downward spiral. We are valuable because we have been created. I love Psalm 139. You know, I, I often talk about this idea that I nicked from Bill Johnson, that there are watering holes, that there are places in Scripture that we have to go back to time and time and time again to understand who we are. Psalm 139 would be one of those psalms. You know, if you were going to teach somebody some Scripture, if you were going to memorize some Scripture... This would be a great starting place for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's just an identity piece. Do you know what? This is just as important for married people to understand this. Because it's easy thinking, do you know what? I'm only talking about people in that dating stage. This is just as important for married people. And then we go on into Genesis 2. The Lord God said it's not good, sorry, verse 18, for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Mutual dependence. God ordained that we needed each other. Now, Often what happens is when we read this, some people really don't like this verse because it, it uses this word helper. And, it, and in that moment, it's like, oh, that feels like it's a submissive role. Now, the Hebrew word ezer, helper, doesn't imply submission in this moment because the Hebrew Bible most frequently employs ezer to describe a superior helper, God himself as the helper of Israel. I love that. You know, God uses that himself. This is a relational term describing a beneficial relationship. So it's not a submissive thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a helper in the best sense of that word. 
That's what's going on. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. They create a new family unit. They become one, one flesh. So this is the first point. We have intrinsic value. But it's not just you who has intrinsic value, but the person that you're dealing with in a relationship has intrinsic value as well. They were also created. The majority of people going into a relationship are asking one question. What can I get out of this? What can I get out of this relationship? What are you going to give me? How are you going to meet my needs? And so often what people are missing is that the other person is completely valuable, made in the image of God, intrinsic worth and value. Do you know what? I only had a couple of relationships before I um, got together with Jen, my, my now wife. We met when we were 19. I tried chatting her up on the first day of university. It was bad. It really was bad. She thought I was a complete idiot. And it wasn't my finest moment. It happened to be my wife. You know, when you look back, you're like, of all the people I could have tried to chat up. Um, but I look back... And, you know, I think back to a couple of relationships before that I had before Jen. And I think, do you know what? I did not treat those people like they were valuable. I look back and I feel a sense of, you know, there's a bit of shame in me. And it's funny thinking about relationships now as a dad of three girls. Ten, seven, and five. And thinking, oh my goodness, my daughters are going to be dating we're moving to the country. <laughs> it's as simple as that. The more I think about it, <laughs> we're also going to start homeschooling at secondary school. <laughs> but as I, as I start to think, you, you know, it's funny, isn't it? You know, when you're young and you know, but as I start to think about my daughter's dating, you start thinking, what would I want for them? What would I want that to look like? I would, I would want the person dating them to treat them beautifully, to honor them. I, I wouldn't necessarily care whether it worked out in every situation. Do you know what I mean? It's like we, we go on that journey. Sometimes we're going to go for a coffee with somebody and find out, do you know what? We were... That is not a good fit. And that's absolutely fine. I do not mind. But I would want them to be honored by any man that took them out. And so this is a word to the guys in the room. I want you to treat women beautifully. Wonderfully well. I want you to honor them. I want you to treat them as if they have great, great worth because they do. They are valuable to the Lord. And so when you're thinking about dating... If you keep that in the back of your mind, 
This person is beautiful. The Lord loves them, and I want to honor and treat them well. And that is a great starting point, isn't it? Whenever you are dealing with a relationship, we need to be sitting there thinking, God, I want your heart in this. God, I want, I want your heart. God, how would you treat this person? You treat them as valuable and cherished. We have to look through God's lens rather than the cultural lens. Just because culture says something is all right, that does not mean that God thinks it's fine. So when we're, and also when we're going into dating, we also have to go into dating with I have value. Because if we don't go into dating with I have value, that is when we can get used horribly. Do you know what? This is one of the reasons why dating somebody without a faith can be so difficult. Because you have different standards. We have different standards about what a relationship looks like. God gives me ultimate value, not that other person. He decides what's best, not you. We live to a different drumbeat. Once we've established that we've got intrinsic value, and those we are dating do as well, it will radically change the way that we relate. Can you see? You are valuable. I am valuable. That should look good, whatever it, however it works out. That's what I'm trying to say. However it works out, we're treating one another well. There's a school of thought that goes like this. If I meet the right person, then everything will be all right. And I like to call it the right person myth. So John meets Emily. I've gone for, for some very... I don't mean ordinary names. That's not what I mean. If there are any Johns in here and Emilys, you've got great names. So John meets Emily, and there is some serious chemistry. Sparks are flying. It's pretty a wow moment. They can't stop thinking about each other, texting each other, talking to each other. In fact, they are incredibly painful to be around. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that when people get together? You're like, you make me feel ill. <laughs> and what I try and always do in that case, just a little piece of advice, is always try to sit between them. It's just funny. Oh, room for a little one? Do you mind if I sit here? Get your hands off one another. The reason that it's incredibly painful to be around them because it's all so intense they're so into one another. And they think what they have is utterly unique, that nobody has ever felt the way that they have this kind of passion before. And it generally lasts for about three months in my experience. Because infatuation or chemistry or whatever word you want to use for it cannot last at that kind of intensity for too long. Problems begin to occur and the honeymoon period is over. I like to call the first three months of dating the honeymoon. Couples, interestingly, often break up at this point because they realize that that other person has some really, really annoying habits that they could not cope with for the rest of their life. 
I remember the first time Jen tried to break up with me. I think she only tried to break up with me four times. I never thought about breaking up with her. I knew that I was marrying well above my station. <laughs> Do you know what? She was really upset with me, not for the first time, because she felt like I'd been teasing her all of the time, which I had. Now, the reality is that I had been brought up in an all-boys school, and that was just what you did. It was a sign of affection. Do you know what I mean? It's that moment where you think you're bantering with somebody and you think it's really funny. And then suddenly I realize, oh, yeah, you don't think this is funny, do you? And do you know what? I was really upset when I found out because I was like, oh, I had no idea. I was really trying to be nice. But most people think it's about finding the right person. And if you do that, then everything is going to be amazing. That's the hard bit. It's not just about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. Everything in our culture says find the right person and everything will be all right. There is very little evidence to support that. In fact, ask any married couple. I would challenge you as you continue to date to meet new people that, you f that your focus won't so much be on the hunting, that your focus won't be just meeting, but that your focus would be on becoming the person that God's called you to be. Let me ask you this question. Are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? You're like, that sounded confusing. I'm a little bit confused myself. I'm going to say it again. Are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? In other words, would they be attracted to you as you are? The chances are that if the answer is no, the person who you're looking for when you meet them might well not like you. In fact, they might well be repulsed by you. While you are single or between relationships or recovering from a serious relationship breakdown, this is the time to become the who, that you, the person that you're looking for is looking for. Can you see, we cannot control all of the external circumstances. But we can control who we're becoming. We can control what the Lord's putting into us. We can control how we're growing in our faith and what Jesus is doing, and the foundation that he's building, and the security that he's putting in, and the dreams that we're going after, and the things that we watch, and the purity of our minds. And I could go on and on and on. We can concentrate on these things. When you open the Bible, you find very little about this meeting part. There's not much that's said about that. Very little help about the finding part. There is some obvious practical advice Nightclubs aren't generally the best places to find a partner. But when you ask the Lord whether he has anything in to say in terms of what I might become, 
then the pages of the Bible are wide open. Who God is creating me to be. The Bible has lots to say about becoming a person worth pursuing. The reason that the Bible has so much to say is that the Bible has loads to say about relationships. But the key is not just finding the right person, but about becoming the right person. The the principles about godly character that we're looking for can be found in Paul's well-known passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the most unbelievably challenging passage, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, it starts with this, love is patient. It's not very sexy, is it? Love is patient. It's like, real love, true love waits. This means love is never, ever pushy. It means when you go on a date, creating enough space that the other person doesn't feel pressed or pressured by you for anything. Practice this in every relationship, in every way. This will serve you well later on. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kind means considerate. Love takes into consideration what the other person feels, what the other person desires. Love is kind. Love is considerate. If you've gone out with someone on a date and it hasn't worked out, and you're pretty sure and you know that it hasn't worked out, then call them back and say, do you know what? This isn't going to work out. Rather than avoiding games, avoiding calls and playing games. Just I'm sorry that this is not going to work out. This is, that's what integrity looks like. And that's what I'm encouraging both men and women to be. Integrous in the way that we deal with one another. Up front. It's about you learning to be considerate. There is never an excuse for not being kind. And when I'm talking about kind, I'm not talking about being wet. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, it's just a bit wet. I'm not talking about being wet. True kindness has incredible strength. True kindness has the difficult conversations. It is generous and it goes the extra mile. Love does not envy. Envy says, if I can't feel too good about myself, then I won't let you feel good about yourself. This destroys marriages and relationships. Insecurity can't let each other win. This is one in marriage. This is huge in marriage. Sometimes I will be absolutely livid after having a run-in with Jen. And she would say exactly the same thing about me. I'm not sharing anything that she would not share herself. And you have that moment where you're like, you feel that you have righteous anger. You might have experienced that. I am utterly right and the Lord knows it and they are utterly wrong. And it's amazing what happens is, is when I begin to process that with the Lord, he doesn't generally feel the same way. (laughs) I have had this so many times. It's like, Lord, she is so wrong. Process it with the Lord. And he talks to me about the plank in my own eye. Love does not boast and is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not do anything that causes regret for the other person ever. Love decides I will not be a regret. Love does not behave dishonorably, disgracefully and indecently. Many women would love to go on a date where they don't have to worry about how the night is going to end. 
you're looking at a guy thinking he would never do anything that would cause regret for me. Nothing indecent will happen. Men, think about, I want to be honorable. I do not want to be somebody's regret. That's the decision you make, a virtue you embrace, a habit that you practice. Love is not self-seeking. That stands against the way that culture and the world would tell you about relationships. That's the point of dating, isn't it? It's not about you. No wonder relationships are breaking down all over the place because when you get two self-seeking people together and place them in a relationship, what happens is they suck the life out of one another. Once the romance and chemistry is gone, there is nothing left. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I feel like I just need to say something about compromising. How do we know when a relationship is not godly? It's a big question, isn't it? Not God's best for us. When we keep compromising on what we know is right. Love, love rejoices with the truth. When the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, he gives us a sensitivity to God's will. Because it's God's spirit, he lives within us. And as we compromise God's values, what happens is our spirit becomes unsettled within us. We know because our conscience bears witness to it. We have to make a choice to drown out that voice and turn it off. And what happens is, then sometimes we go, do you know what, I really feel like I can't hear the Lord. Why can't you hear the Lord? Because there's a whole area of your life that you've chosen to shut down. That's what sin does, it gets in the way. And so, so sometimes we're like, oh, I feel God's so far distant. It's like, yes, because you've shut down this whole area of your life because you don't want to hear what the Lord has to say about it. It's a really painful thing. Love rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It protects rather than abuses. It trusts rather than doubts. It hopes rather than fears. It perseveres rather than giving up. When it comes to relationships, do not settle for second best in terms of godly character. Integrity. What would be, I'd love you to be looking for people of integrity. Listen to how the Apostle Paul ends the whole discussion. I am coming in to finish in a second. Don't worry. Verse 11. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. When you think back to childhood stories, how did they always end? And they lived happily ever after. In fairy tales, if you could get the prince and the princess together and get rid of the ugly stepsister and the baddies, then everything else would work out. If we could just get rid of the overbearing father or other obstacles, then everything else will work out. That's how many people think about relationships. Some, perhaps some of you, you're thinking like a fairy tale. In real relationships, happily ever after has very little to do with finding the right person. It has everything to do with becoming the right person. Becoming a person worth pursuing. Becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. This requires shifting your thinking and shifting your affection. Seeing every relationship as an opportunity to become the person God wants you to be. You have intrinsic value and the people that you date have intrinsic value. Treat them well. Why don't we stand?